Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Nice to see you all. I hope that you're all well. And surviving this cold winter, cold, wet winter. It's, um, I think it's just Auckland that's miserable. Uh, we had a wonderful weekend of weather. Uh, I saw the sun for the first time for like two consecutive days since I don't even know when. This time last year, maybe. Um, yeah, it's quite a foreign, uh, foreign thing these days. But um, yeah, and then I drove back up here on Monday and clouds and rain. It's wonderful. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, Um, I wanted to share a few photos just from the weekend with you and just a few, um, yeah, just an answers to prayer um, before we jump into a couple verses in Daniel this morning. Um, maybe, Nate, you can do it because the photos aren't coming up on my phone. <coughs> Uh, we had a great weekend, uh, so I've kind of included a bunch of photos. And um, so this is our crew. This was the group of people that we had, which was amazing. Um, this is the the first time. So yeah, the first time since we started in 2020, where I had to actually say no and decline some students because I ran out of beds. Um, yeah, which was sad. And one student actually got to come because one was sick. And bless him, he was so happy that he was there. He prayed on the last day. He said, thank you, Lord, that Zephaniah was sick so that I could come. But Lord, I pray, I pray that Zephaniah is better now. <laughs> so that was, that was quite humorous. Um, but yeah, this was our staff and students. We had, I think, um, just over 40 students. And the rest were support staff um, and counselors and myself and Joe and Becky. And uh, yeah, it was such a, a blessing. Um, it's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. I always, um, I guess it's like you go, I go through this phase, each program. I love it. I hate it. I love it. I hate it. And it's always at different points. So the month before it happens, I just am like, why do I do this every time? So many emails, so many schedules, so many problems that people have questions. When can I come? I want to come at a different time. But then you leave it and you're just like, why do I not do it any, why do I do anything else but this? And um, so as much as I myself am physically exhausted, my heart is very full and uh, my spirit is very encouraged because um, these young people are quite incredible, really. Um, yeah. So if you flick through some photos, Nate. Um, yep. So this is just to kind of give you an idea of what the days look like. This is our volleyball. It was just a mud fest this weekend. Um, and um, and this. So this is like uh, on the Saturday afternoon. One of the things we do is we have these things called talks, and so we do main sessions with all the kids and worship and teaching. But we do things like this, talks where we had five, uh, seven or eight different uh, topic-based discussions. And the kids kind of, when they come and arrive, they get to choose what they want to uh, attend. So this is Talor. He was leading one on kind of like looking at the heart of worship. Like worship is not just singing. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just playing instruments. But it's actually the way that we live our lives. We had one looking at... Um, one of the, uh, Josh was looking at kind of the world versus the word, and it was cool. They had some discussions about, you know, the transgender ideologies and gender ideologies that are coming through and looking at, like, what does the Bible actually say about these things? Um, we had one looking at uh, calling. How do you know your life calling? Um, Tally, one of the ladies from uh, Todonga, was actually kind of briefly doing a little bit of the way of agape material 
with some of the students. So how do you work through um, forgiveness and bitterness and kind of reconciling relationships and controlling your mind and actions. Um, so it's quite, they're quite cool things because the kids, the main sessions are great. They get the word of God fed, but this is kind of very engaging and they're very practical. How do we live our lives? Um, flick along. Um, this is them playing a game where they spike. There's Nate. Look at him. He's about to spike the ball at the kids' faces. That was the goal, right? Yeah, good. Okay. <laughs> um, this, so this is a little bit of the venue. That's the main building there. It's such a nice place. Um, the venue is super nice. The rooms are really well kept. The grounds are beautiful. And so, yeah, it was wonderful to be away from Auckland for, for four days and just be in a, a green paddock with, um, yeah, blue skies and sunshine. <coughs> This is, um, on the Saturday morning, we had a, a boys and girls split session, uh, which is always good. Um, and this is Doug. I don't know if many of you know Doug and Christine Search. Um, they're a couple who actually um, were both previously married, and um, their relationships didn't go well. And then they, were, they got remarried, and they served at the Bible school in Jerusalem for a number of years. And so very seasoned um, ministry people planted and pastored a church in South Africa before moving to New Zealand. And so, um, yeah, I always ask them every time, can you be a part? Because they have so much a wealth of wisdom. And so Doug took the boys, and I don't really know what he taught you, them. Um, and Christine took the girls, and she was looking at, I know Christine told me she was looking at Colossians 3, putting off the old man putting on the new man and she was looking at a little bit of like how we use our words slander social media and how all those play into kind of um, a life of we have to put those things off so yeah very powerful uh, this is Talor leading worship this is kind of a little bit of our setup it's really cool to have the kids involved and some of them are being raised up to yeah to lead in worship Jaden he plays he does worship at a plays the piano, does worship at Calvary Whangarei most weeks, and yeah, it's really awesome to see them step up into that. Um, this is Joe teaching on the first night, um, and skip along, I think there's a few more. That's it? Okay, sweet. Um, the sessions were great. Uh, we had Joe teach on the first night. He um, started, we, our theme was God of the Ages, um, and so we were looking at how God is like, he's tested and proven to be faithful <laughs> over time. And so Joe actually was looking at, um, started in Exodus and kind of looked at a proof that God is faithful, looking at um, the Passover, the institution of the Passover, the giving of the law, and how the golden calf situation, how they worshipped the wrong thing, and that 3,000 souls were were lost and then looked at the kind of acts and the coming of the spirit and how 3,000 souls were, were reborn and, and given life and, and just kind of looking at how Isaiah, in Isaiah 26, he could say with confidence that God is an everlasting rock, but why could he say that? And so just kind of providing a proof for that. Um, then we had a guy called Nick, who's actually, him and his wife are moving to Kyrgyzstan shortly to be uh, missionaries, and so he was sharing on, he shared on Matthew 28, looking at the, how um, the cross communicates God's heart, how the resurrection communicates that we have a living God, and how the Great Commission communicates that we have a God who's on mission, he has a heart for people, and to win people, and kind of, um, I was inspired, so just warning you. I've told the Lord, I'm willing to go wherever he tells me, but I feel like I'm called to be here on the North Shore. But in that moment, I was ready to pack my bags and go take on the world and, yeah, go back to that lifestyle. It was very inspiring for me personally, but um, I think God has called me to, to here, uh, you know, but there you go. Um, and, yeah, and then the last day, we had a guy called Han. He's a He's a pastor here just on a, sh at the shore, a church on the shore at North Cross, and he was teaching, he looked at Hebrews 12, looking at how we should not be looking at our sin and how looking at our sin causes us to uh, 
miss our purpose and calling in life and how that really leads to us losing our joy, but we need to look to Jesus. Um, and so kind of gave some really practical instructions to how kids, how the kids could not dwell on their failures and their sin. Um, and then last, the last night I closed looking at Psalm 62 um, and just David kind of speaking as if, you know, trust the Lord. Where it has that verse there, trust the Lord at all times, you people pour out your heart before him for God is a refuge for us. And it was amazing the last night, just like the, the, the Lord just kind of spoke to us to just, okay, what is it for each of us that we need to trust back into the Lord's hands? You know, it may be circumstances, relationships, um, fears. And so it was really cool to just see the kids really make those decisions to like, hey, I'm going to trust the Lord with this, you know, because he is worthy of our trust. So absolutely wonderful weekend. And they're always so sad to leave. But yeah, it's always nice when they do leave because then you can go and lie down. <laughs> but um, I encourage you just please um, pray, pray for these kids. Um, the transition from cultivate to home is always hard. Um, the devil, no doubt, has his claws out, ready to go, you know, he always does, um, and he's going to try rob the kids of everything that they heard, um, all the things that God did, and I encouraged them on the last day, I s just spoke a little bit about Joshua's farewell address before he dies, where Joshua tells the people, cling to the Lord, and he says, and Joshua reminds, really recounts Israel's whole history and says, look back and remember God's faithfulness. And so I told them, write down the things that God told you this weekend, showed you. And I said, set an alarm for two weeks time and look back and remind yourself. Um, and then, you know, you have that famous verse, you know, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Like make, we have to make that decision. Who are we going to trust today? The other nations or God himself? So, yeah, so please pray for them. I pray for them but I need a, a force behind me, you know, a, a prayer beh behind me as well, just that the Lord would keep them and grow them and lead them. And, uh, yeah, because they are from, so probably, I would probably say 85% are from Calvary churches in New Zealand. Um, that's not the way I necessarily want it. I'm not complaining about it, but my heart for Cultivate when I started it was for New Zealand, Australia, the Pacific, <laughs> churches all around the place. I don't want there to be a denominational difference. I don't want it to be race, all these things. The part of the heart of Cultivate is to break down those barriers because I saw them so much in high school when I was here, like, you go to that youth group or oh, we can't be friends, you know? Um, but most of them come from Calvary's. So from, yeah, from the Calvary in Wellington, uh, Tauranga here, uh, Garden of Christ in West Auckland, Whangarei, um, Hamilton, we didn't have anyone actually, I don't think, from there. And then we had a bunch of other kids from different churches in Tauranga, um, just non-Calvary churches, who know it through friends and have been invited along. Um, so yeah, so a good representation, yeah. Um, yeah. Let's pray really quick for these guys and then we'll pray also, Mike asked if we could just pray for people who are just unwell and sick. It's just that kind of time of year, right? Everybody's unwell. Lord, we thank you for uh, just this weekend and I thank you, Lord, just personally, just for all the amazing things that you've done and that you choose to use us and you allow us to be a part of your heart and your plan. I just pray that you would just bless each of these kids, Lord, as they go home. I pray that they would find um, their satisfaction in you. I pray that they would continue to trust you. I pray that they wouldn't feel alone because they're not a cultivate. I pray that you would protect the things that you've taught them and spoken to them and that the devil would have no power to steal those things away. And I pray also, Lord, that you would just um, refresh them and prepare them for school starting next week. Um, I ask that you'd also just put uh, your healing hand upon uh, this body here at Calvary Auckland, Lord. Anyone who's sick or unwell, under the weather, in pain, Lord, I ask that you would just... Um, 
ease the pain, discomfort, and just bring healing to our bodies, Lord. Um, we love you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through your word right now. As we look at Daniel 9, I pray that you would inspire us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, and Lord, that you would uh, teach us, Lord, for we want to hear your voice. We want to grow, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Daniel chapter 9, if you have your Bibles. I'm in 2 Timothy. It's been a while since we've been in Daniel, but um, it's been good to also just take a break and look at some other things. And so thank you, Steve and Murray, for stepping in. To teach at different times has been a very busy season for me and yeah even uh, this week I was thinking oh boy I got to teach again been teaching all weekend long so um, we're only going to go through three verses but I hope that doesn't disappoint you there's actually some amazing uh, application and truths in just these verses and I thought we also need to get back up to speed in terms of where we're at in terms of the timing and history of everything going on in, in Daniel. Um, and so we are sort of positioned in this second half of the book. The first six chapters are primarily historical narrative, um, looking and dealing with the experiences of Daniel under multiple different kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius. Again, from those kings from Babylon, kings from the, the Medo-Persian Empire. And then we move kind of into the second half of the book, Daniel 7 through 12. And it's, um, yes, it's a lot of it is narrative in the sense of Daniel and having dreams and visions, but most of the text is related to the visions and dreams that Daniel had and is given. And so it's primarily prophetic. Um, and we see there's four really, four reports, distinct reports from Daniel concerning dreams and visions under, again, multiple kings, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. <coughs> and we've studied the first two. The first and second visions were Daniel 7 and Daniel 8. And the, the first vision is, was the most comprehensive of the four, really in times of the time, in terms of the time that it covers, the time span. And then the latter three, Daniel 8, what we're going to look at Daniel 9, and then Daniel 10, 11, and 12, kind of fill in the details of what we see in Daniel 7, which is a parallel, accompanies that of Daniel 2, if you remember all the way back there. feels like a long time since we've been there. Um, and then the second vision, Daniel 8, um, is concerning the emergence and, and destiny of, of Greece. And um, at the point given, Greece was not really a, a thing at that time. And then we also s looked at how um, the f partial fulfillment of in the person of Antiochus Epiphanes and how, again, that speaks forward of the Antichrist that is to come. And um, those two uh, reports, uh, in Daniel 7 and 8 are during the first and third years of King Belshazzar. So before the fall of Babylon, before, um, before it fell to the Medes in 539 BC. And it occurs between chapters, the historical stuff of chapter 4 and 5. So Nebuchadnezzar kind of losing his mind and then 5, the kingdom falling under Belshazzar. Hopefully all this is very familiar. So we come to Daniel 9, and so Daniel 9 is why you have been waiting all this time, right? It's why you're here. It's why you sat through Daniel 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, right? You don't have to lie. It's okay. <laughs> I've been able to sit and learn and know you for some time, and I know that you love this stuff. But Daniel 9 is probably the single most important chapter in the Bible for understanding end times prophecy. 
And so it makes sense that you're excited for it. And so we'll start it today, again, looking at the first couple verses. Um, next week, we'll probably look at Daniel's prayer, which is um, the first um, half, a little bit over half of the chapter. And then the latter half of the chapter, you have the vision and prophecy regarding the 70 weeks of Daniel. And um, that, I don't know how long it's going to take us to go through, but um, we'll just take our time. And again, that 70 weeks of Daniel, it's concerning really God, the program of God for Israel that kind of closes with the coming of Messiah to reign over the earth. And so, again, this prophecy of the 70 weeks, it provides um, an important key, one of the most important keys to understanding Scripture as a whole, and definitely the end times. And then Daniel 10, 11, and 12, we have that fourth vision or the final report. Um, and so, let's jump right in this morning, and um, we'll read just these first couple verses and uh, yeah, kind of understand a little bit of the timing, go back and look a little bit of the history that sets up our understanding for the 70 weeks and all of the significance of those things, as well as um, my prayer is that we can be encouraged to be men and women of the word and of prayer as well. In the first year of Darius, the son of Assyrius, I still don't know how to say that name, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Lord, I ask that you would just open our eyes, you would open our ears, that our hearts would be soft, Lord, to receive your word this morning. And I pray that you would give us understanding. And I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to change, to be convicted, and to be led in the truth by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, as each chapter starts, always kind of gives us the timing that um, where this sits in the book of Daniel, because Daniel 1 to 12, it's not in chronological order, it's all over the place. And so we're told it's in the first year of Darius, who is the son of this man, uh, Hasurus, Hasurius, or however you say his name. And he's of the lineage of the Medes. So this is the time of the Medo-Persian Empire. We've kind of been going back and forth, Babylonians. And we know from the image in 2 and the beasts in 7 that Babylon was the first, followed by the Medo-Persians, followed by the Greeks and the Romans. And so we're at this timing of the Medo-Persian Empire where... We know that um, Cyrus came in and basically Babylon fell in a night, the night of Belshazzar's feast, 539 BC, October sometime. And ever since then, the Babylon, Babylonian kingdom has been, has been gone. And um, if you remember from Daniel 6, um, we talked a little bit about this man, Darius about what we kind of knew about this man. Um, and so the Darius here um, in Daniel 9 is believed to be the same Darius that is there in Daniel 6. Um, and he's referred to as Darius the Mede. Now, he's not to be confused with Darius the First. And I mentioned this when we studied Daniel 6. And Darius the First was the, the Darius who ruled... Um, from 522 to 486 BC. And that was during whose reign the temple was restored by the, the Jews that went back to the land. And historically, that's the only Darius that we know of. And again, as I mentioned in Daniel 6, and it, this is the kind of, again, center of debate and um, 
Was that Siri? Okay. This is a center of debate and kind of again why critics say that this isn't accurate, it's not right, is because this Darius the Mede that we read of and know of from Daniel 6 and 9 is, um, doesn't actually exist in secular history. Um, and so it's always been, um, yeah, again, one of the reasons why, why this is attacked for not being valid and such. But that's, again, as I mentioned in 6, is where we have to come back. We have to realize, okay, this is the God's word. We trust and believe that this is um, God-breathed, it's accurate, and God knows what he's doing. But this man, um, Darius the Mede, who we see in Daniel 6 and Daniel, 7, uh, Daniel 6 and 9, it was most, he was most likely, it was most likely the name or title for um, this man or the general, the king that was appointed by Cyrus as ruler over um, the city until he himself took charge. So working alongside this man, um, Cyrus, who, Cyrus the Great, who took over Babylon and um, the, night, the night it fell. And again, that's supported in multiple different ways, looking at some of the verses in, in 6 and also here in Daniel 9, 1. And it talks here about how he was made king. And so in one sense, he was given authority by another to rule in part of the realm of the Chaldeans here in Babylon. Uh, not the Babylonian Empire, but the city itself where they took it over. And so... We have this man, Darius, the same Darius who is, was the one who kind of got himself tied in a mess when he, was, when he sent out the decree because he was coerced and manipulated to kind of tie down Daniel without really thinking it through. And then Daniel and the lion's den. It's the same, that's the same Darius. <coughs> now, the timing of this. So obviously with the Medo-Persians, Babylon has fallen. And the timing of Daniel 9 is believed to be around um, 538 B.C. And so the events of Belshazzar's feast in Daniel 5 seem to occur between the visions um, of chapters 8 and 9. So we're post, um, obviously, Belshazzar's feast and all that. Um, and the events, I, I wasn't able really clearly to be able to define whether Daniel 6 and Daniel 9, they what comes after or before but obviously with Darius involved it's a very similar time and it's interesting again because Darius in, in chapter 6 sends out a decree Daniel can't pray gets thrown in the reliance den and here in Daniel 9 what we see is Daniel praying again um, and obviously we learn and so at this point it's about probably 67 or so years after Jerusalem had been taken captured and Daniel had been taken captive to Babylon. The significance of that is the prophecy, right, regarding the 70 years. And Daniel at this point is about 80 years old. And so he's, he's coming, um, he's definitely served a long time in his ministry. And so three or four years now, before that 70 years of the member getting out of the land, resting the land, is about, to, um, is about to come to the point. And that, again, that is a significant here in regards to Daniel's reading and understanding and even prayer um, in terms of the timing of things. So it's really important. Now, if you remember all the way back to the very beginning when we did an introduction to Daniel, um, we had a slideshow, and we talked about two periods of 70 years. I don't know if you remember these. The first was the servitude of the nation, which was a marker of 70 years from the first siege into captivity to Babylon, about 605 BC, to the judgment on Babylon, which was 539 BC, or kind of, again, whether it's that or the return, first return back to the land. So the kind of from captivity to return. And then you also have the second period of 70 years, which was the desolations of Jerusalem. So from the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple to then the completion or rebuilding of the temple under Ezra. And so we have again these two periods of 70 years. Um, 
And so understanding, again, that the 70, the, the period, the timing that this 70-year marker that they have been taken captive to Babylon is coming up. We're a couple years short of that. And so Daniel, being the smart, intelligent man that he was, he read the Bible. He read the scriptures. And he figured out something is going to change soon in these years. And so we see that here. Verse 2, in the first year of his reign, speaking of Darius, the very beginning, so again, this is right after um, yeah, Babylon has fallen, Daniel understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So again here, it's going to be interesting throughout this chapter to note the change in the person that Daniel uses when writing. From he goes, He's going to go from first to third, back to first, I think. And so, again, notice, we'll, we'll look at that next, more next week when we look at the prayer, the significance of that. But here he says, I, Daniel, understood by the books. So notice here, very simply, Daniel understood something from reading the word of the prophets. And he says here he's reading the scroll of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord through Jeremiah. There, the word to understand means to discern something, to consider something. It means to mentally separate two things. Now, these verses show Daniel as a diligent student of the scripture. A diligent student of the scripture who then built his life, his prayer life, specifically upon the word of God. Maybe as Christians we believe sometimes, okay, we have to read the word of God, we have to pray. These are two chores we have to do, right? hope we don't look at it that way. But, but here, what we actually see from Daniel in these just few verses is we see a beautiful harmony and melding of these two things. Understanding, reading, knowing the scripture, leading him to pray and his prayer life being built on the truth of the word of God. And that's where we don't want our prayer lives to just become, God, give me this. God, give me this. God, this is miserable. God, change this. But our prayer lives really be built upon the truths that we read in God's word. Daniel here was convinced that what Jeremiah wrote was the word of the Lord. And he believed the scriptures were the word of the living God. And we know in 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us that all scripture is God-breathed. And knowing this truth, having this truth, that knowing that the, the scripture is God breathed, that should then drive us to seek God in his word and to spend time understanding, discerning, mentally separating the things, working through the content of God's word. Now, I know you were Calvary Chapel, it's like you're preaching to the choir. We understand this. <coughs> We understand that we need to be in the word of God, but I think we should, again, just consider ourselves Daniel here. He discerned, he understood by the books something from the word of the Lord which came through the prophet Jeremiah. And we need ourselves to be patient and spend time to hear God through his word. And so really, I think one lesson from Daniel here and it's, it's nothing really from his, um, if you think about it, nothing really from his job description. He was, you know, basically a politician, a leader, a ruler in Babylon, in the empire. Nothing too much, really. I mean, his, he grew up knowing the scriptures, no doubt, in the Jewish family. But we see here that over his life, 
we see a development, a growth of a passion to read God's word and to pray. Um, and we see here really his, this prayer of intercession, this prayer of confession that he, he is going to make um, for himself, but also for the people because he understands something from God's word. Now look at what is it that he understood we're told by Daniel himself what he understood from reading the scripture. So we can learn about the principle that Daniel had a passion. He was a student of God's word. He understood things. He discerned things. He spent time. He wanted to spend time. But we actually see that he, te and he tells us what did he learn from that. The number of the years specified by the word. So Daniel's study of prophecy, and again, this is why prophecy is important. We should understand prophecy, and we, like Daniel, should be reading the Word of God to understand the things that are to come. And then I love what it does, what his next response is. Daniel reads, he understands 70. Interesting. And then what does he do? He doesn't run out to the street and say, 70, you guys, 70. <laughs> he doesn't go into the church and say, 70, you guys, 70. What does he do? He prays. That's interesting. Daniel's study of prophecy given through Jeremiah showed him this number, 70 years. Now, Jeremiah, let's flick back and let's refresh our minds, especially as we're going into, um, going into this. Jeremiah 25, and I just want to read again some of these. These would have been the things that um, Daniel was reading and he got the 70 from. And I'm sure because you're all so wise and sharp, you know exactly what this is all about. But it's always good to refresh ourselves. Jeremiah 25, and look at verse 8. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of the mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed. Daniel must have been like, okay, that's three years away, four years away that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in the book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. Okay, then jump to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, verse 10, For thus says the Lord, After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will, revisit, I will visit you and perform my good toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away. Carried away captive. Just a minor thing. You know, that wonderful verse in Jeremiah there that everybody takes out of context. Now you know the context, okay? So if someone says it, you know, you don't need to bash them over the head with a Bible, but... You can also remind them that it's talking about Babylon and the Jewish people. So Daniel was obviously just because he's 80 years old. He had his he was he was doing his reading, right? His morning readings. And he 
he must have read Jeremiah 25, must have read Jeremiah 29. And so he's come to the significance of 70 years as significant. And Daniel would have also been familiar with Isaiah's prophecies concerning potentially Cyrus, we, we see in Isaiah 45. Now Daniel at this point, right, Daniel 9, he has seen Babylon fall. So what was said in Jeremiah 25, I will send Nebuchadnezzar, he will take you captive, you will be removed from the land. I will then, after the 70 years pass, I will deal to Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. So Daniel's seen that happen, right? And that's a 70 years, that's a 70 year period from the first siege to returning back of the, to the land. But then Jeremiah 29, So he's seen Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon dealt with and fallen, but at this point he hasn't necessarily seen the return to the land. And so that must have been the thing that said, oh, hmm, and Jerusalem, hmm, that's still destroyed, and we're going to go back. But we haven't gone back yet. But it's been 60-odd something years. Surely it's soon. Now, there's so many things you could teach from this passage. Because one, it's a man who's committed and studies the word of God. But also that, a man who is able to see the details of God's word. Seventy, it's coming. But then also a man who is putting his trust in the promises of God, saying, God, you said seventy. It's almost seventy. You said we would return back to the land. We haven't quite yet. It's got to be soon. And that's, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. We see Daniel here. He understood. He discerned something of the scriptures. But he also knew that there was more to come. And he knew that God would keep his promises. And that is really encouraging. And he says there, he understood the number by the Lord through Jeremiah that God would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And again, speaking here of this latter of the two periods of these 70, whereby they would return back to the land. That Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple would be rebuilt again. And so they, they would have to return back to rebuild the temple. Now again, on the basis of understanding these things and reading, he realized that the time was approaching. And you can only imagine what, what Daniel was thinking at this time. He probably had so many questions. Again, what does this all mean? Was Jerusalem about to be restored? Because what they were looking at now wasn't necessarily much a sign of that. How is this going to happen? All of these things. And again, Daniel would have then, you know, in the next phase, would have heard the decree to go back to the land. And Darius the first telling people to rebuild the temple. But I'm really encouraged by just what, what Daniel's respo initial response to all this is. Daniel here recognized the timing recognized it was fastly approaching, didn't necessarily know all the details, but he then prayed. Now, this was that situation, but we are also in our situation, the present. We read in the scriptures, the end is coming. And we've looked at, Jeremy gave us some idea of, you know, what shows us that the end time is coming or is here. And we have maybe a lot of questions. How is it all going to play out? What's going to come first? How, when is this? And all these questions. 
So I think we can learn something from Daniel here is that our first response shouldn't be to go out and yell these things. Our first response shouldn't be to ask all these questions and find all the answers and have to have all the details necessarily. But why don't we just pray into these things? Lord, make us ready. We know you're coming very, very soon. We see the signs that you've given us in your word. Be diligent to look in his word, to see the details, the numbers, the, the situations, the people, the Antichrist, the times, the years, all these things to look at that, but then all of those things to not to drive us to necessarily have a perfect image of these things, but actually to drive us to pray. I want to note a few things here before we see really Daniel's response. Daniel took and this is encouraging to us, Daniel took the 70 years that, I, that Jeremiah writes about literally. And he believed in a literal fulfillment, like we do. Although, again, remember, Daniel had been exposed, and this comes to, again, like how do we interpret the Bible? Daniel had been exposed to revelation, some crazy images and pictures, right? The image, the beasts. But when Daniel sat and he read the scroll of Jeremiah, he took things literally. He said, there's 70 years. We're getting close to that. And that is what led him to act. He interpreted the prophecy as literal and he expected God to fulfill his word. Secondly, Daniel believed that the word of God would be fulfilled on the basis of prayer. And Daniel recognized that God's purpose and his sovereignty in the matter. But also he understood that faith was required. There was a necessity of his faith and prayer in the matter. So he understood and trusted what God said will happen. God is sovereign. God is in control. God has a purpose in these 70 years and it will come to pass. But he also didn't just sit back with his feet up and said, okay, well, let me just watch this with my popcorn, watch the 70 years come to pass and all this. What did he do? He believed, he trusted, and he prayed. So yes, there is a trusting upon God, but then there's an active trust to where we trust in God. And again, you know, as much as God is going to do what he's going to do, God is going to come back when he wants to come back. The end times is all going to play out as God has planned it. But then also in understanding that, how can we play an active role in that? How can we be prepared for that? How can we be sharing the gospel for that? How can we be praying and on our knees for what is to come? And thirdly, Daniel, he recognized that, and this is going to lead into the prayer, that confession of sin would bring about restoration. And as you read throughout this chapter, the majority of how Daniel writes, other than right at the beginning and right at the end, is he speaks in a in, third, in, in uh, multiple, like plural, we, he says, our, us. And he's, when he's praying, he's speaking for on behalf of himself, but also the people. And we see that it, starting from verse 4, it's going to be a prayer of, of confession. And really a prayer of confession to prepare them for what Daniel knew was coming back, he said, well, we're going to return to the land and we're going to work on rebuilding the temple. God said it would happen, so let's prepare ourselves for these things. Then it says in verse 3, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer, supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel not only believed that God had spoken through Jeremiah, but that God would also speak to him here. And that verb there, to set your face toward the Lord, the verb means to give yourself 
to consecrate yourself, to devote or entrust yourself to something. And so Daniel's response here to reading the Word of God, to seeing the significance of 70, to trusting that God was going to bring them back to the land, that the 70 years was nearly up, his response was to set or to devote or consecrate himself, his face, toward the Lord. Notice it was directional. It was toward the Lord, away from other things. His decision here, and it's an active decision, was intentional, it was directional, and it was active. And I think when we read God's Word and we learn things and we understand things, we then, like Daniel here, should be praying into those things that we have read, learned. And again, when we, in prayer, in our lives, in our decisions, again, we should set ourselves towards the Lord and not towards other things. And he set his face toward the Lord. He turned to the Lord. Again, kind of what we were talking about this weekend is not to look at our sin not to look at the other things in the world. And I was encouraging the kids on Sunday night to not put our trust and our hope in other things. We were talking about hope, and I know you've probably seen these terrible lines out here drawn on the ground. And I actually used a picture of this as an illustration to communicate hope to the kids. That hope has an assessment. Hope looks at things and says, Okay, something needs to improve. Something needs to get better. Then we have hope as an object. It's then, okay, like because this is broken, because it's not working, we put our hope in something. Whether that's God, whether that's a person, whether that's finances, whether that's a church, a relationship, whatever it may be. And then hope has an expectation that once we do that, once we say, okay, this is broken, we need to fix something, something needs to change, I'm going to put my hope in this. Then we have an expectation that when we put our hope in that thing, that it's going to deliver, it's going to improve, it's going to get better. And I was explaining, you know, with these lines, you know, there was, there's an issue, and I put my hope in someone to this wonderful cleaning and painting company to fix the lines, and they did not deliver. And I was trying to explain to them that most of the things that we put our hope in are not going to deliver, not going to satisfy. We've got to put our hope and we've got to set our face and we've got to look to Jesus. And Daniel here obviously was a man of the word, studying the word, but here, again, once he learned of these things, he went right to prayer and looked to the Lord. And we see there, he ma to make requests. I set my face toward the Lord to make requests by prayer and supplication with sa fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Again, he was there to make requests, to seek after, to search out God. To intercede, the words mean there, to intercede or to make earnest prayer to entreat on behalf of another. And Daniel had come to the point of understanding God's dealings with his people in regards to these 70 years. And so here, Daniel's response was to come before the Lord to ask God and trust God to perform and fulfill his promises of these 70 years. And to prepare their hearts in a confession to then be restored through the returning back to the land, through the rebuilding of the temple and being able to then sacrifice again and all those things, as well as we know that there was a spiritual revival in the people under Nehemiah as well, as much of a rebuilding of the wall, rebuilding of the temple. There was a coming back or moving away from the intermarrying and moving towards the word of God under Ezra. And here you see with, fa with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, each speaks there of a humiliation and a mourning and really a laying aside of the needs of the flesh and reflected the, 
Daniel's humble heart in approaching God. And a lot of, you know, in the Lennox book, um, Lennox draws so many parallels, and some of them are so beyond my understanding that I just can't work with. And I'm not, I'm not a Missler mind, you know, I'm a simple mind, you know, where there's like all these connections, webs, and look. But it was interesting, kind of one of the things that, that Lennox looked at was the correlation or the contrast of Daniel 4 and Daniel 9. Daniel 4 being a picture of a man, Nebuchadnezzar, who was full of pride and didn't seek the Lord. And then you have Daniel 9 here, a man who is humble, who's coming before the Lord in prayer and seeking and begging God to work and to fulfill his promises. And we see here then Daniel, he waited on God until he saw and heard God's voice. And we're going to look at the prayer and look at uh, the prophecy and the vision that comes to Daniel in this prayer. So next week we'll look at this prayer of confession. And it's interesting, it's in really in three parts. Again, kind of divided based on the first couple verses, four to seven, Daniel addresses God directly. And then eight and 14, Daniel speaks indirectly to the Lord. And you see again the change in the persons, the third person. And then again, back to that uh, direct relation of Daniel to God again. And we'll look at kind of the significance of the prayer and the significance of that change in persons uh, next week. But I think the thing I want to just leave you with, and again, this morning my heart was to refresh you on the timing and the understanding of all these things and where we're sitting and the significance of the 70 years, but to really encourage you to, especially in regards to prophecy, but also in regards to anything, is that we spend time to understand and learn the scriptures. Because we see here that Daniel did that, you know. And Daniel was a busy guy as well. You know, he was running the, the court, basically. You know, he was first, second, third over the many years. First, second, and third, it kind of moved all around in the kingdom. So he was a busy guy in a lot of things. And yes, he was a prophet. And yes, again, an interesting thing. He was, he was receiving words from the Lord. But he never, ever strayed from going back to the, to the written word, going back to the scrolls of Jeremiah. He didn't just rely upon divine revelation given to him, but went back to the word, and he trusted that. And then he learned and discerned the things that God was saying through that, and then that led him to prayer. It didn't lead him to anything else. And I could list a thousand other things that we would do if we find things in the Word of God. It led him to pray. It led him to intercede on behalf of himself and the people to confess. And we'll see where, where again, that, that humility and that posture, where that takes Daniel and how God speaks to Daniel. And so I encourage you to do that in your own life. Lord, we thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you, um, you have given us your word. I thank you for the blessing and privilege of that. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn um, from Daniel here, that we would understand your word, that we would see the significant things in your word and whether fulfilled or unfulfilled, that it would drive us to see that you are faithful to fulfill your promises or it would drive us to, to be on our knees and to pray, Lord, that you would fulfill and that you would complete and that you would be faithful to bring about the things that you have said to bring about. And Lord, it is so amazing to look back and see all the things that in, from your word that you have fulfilled up to this point. And Lord, it's exciting to look forward to the things that are yet to be fulfilled and how you are coming back for your church, Lord, and how the tribulation will unfold and the millennium and the Antichrist and all these things and how you will, you will be faithful to bring those things to completion. But Lord, I pray as we prepare, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in a posture of humility and I pray that we would commit these things to prayer. And even that we would pray and ask, Lord, come back, Lord. Lord, come and, and fulfill your promises. Have your way, Lord.
Lord, pray that you would teach us to be students of your word and to be people who would pray and pray for ourselves, but pray for this body, pray for this nation, pray for this, the people, Lord, as we know that your heart is for us and for the world. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would challenge us and convict us, that you would guide us and lead us in all these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.